0: Brethren, we really do need more than ever, and I think if you think about the sermons you heard during the feast, day after day for eight days, and the atmosphere there, and hopefully we're drinking in of what was said, I think most of us realize that as a whole, there may be a few exceptions, but as a whole, most of us need to study this book more deeply and more profoundly. We need to feed on Christ To just have the mind of Christ coming through our mind day after day, every day, and hopefully for 30 minutes to an hour. Many people watch television for two or three hours a day. They might take away one hour and just read the Bible instead. I don't think they would have a, a, a stroke or a heart attack because of studying the Bible too much. I've never heard of that. So I think you do a lot better. We need to study this book a lot more and really meditate about it. Don't just read it, but go back and meditate. Here's what the apostle Paul actually said to these people there. And this is a principle that would apply to all time. And to me, you could say to yourself, and so on. When I read about how Abraham gathered his 318, uh, servants trained for war, here he was in the Old Testament, and God allowed a time of war. He was a multi-multi-millionaire in his own time. You have to know that. He had 318 young men trained for war in addition to all the other younger boys and older men and others who were not able for war plus all the ladies and the girls and so on. And he must have had a 1,000 or 1,500 people at least in his big entourage moving around. He was a great man of the East and he took off And when you read those stories, I think it's good to try to put yourself in the saddle and think, well, here I am with Abraham and he's doing this and doing that. And when Abraham is told, you get up tomorrow and you go out here and be willing to sacrifice your son. And Abraham said, yes, sir. In a sense, he got up early the next day. He didn't argue. Of course, as I've said, he knew it was God. I don't want to get a voice in the night or have one of you get a voice in the night and do something weird. As I've said, he knew that voice. He knew that personality. But he he did whatever God said. Absolutely. And we've got to have that. Drink into the Word. Meditate on it. Feed on Christ. Then get down on your knees and pray and pray your heart out and cry out to God. Please help me to really reflect Jesus Christ more. All of us need to think about how to do that. I was saying at the feast, we've got to learn to think as God thinks. We've got to learn to feel as God feels. And we've got to want what God wants. We've got to think about that in every phase of our lives. And we, a lot of us need to be healed and would like to be healed, but if God does not heal some of us at this time, or God lets some of us who are older die, if it's better for the work, I should say, Okay, God, you've given me already ten years longer than King David ever had. I've got to want that. I can't say, God, you've got to keep me going or else. God does not need to keep me going or else. He does not need to keep you going or else or anyone else. God can deal with us in a way that teaches us lessons for all eternity. And if God is real to us, we will see that and we will understand that. We will learn to see the way he God dealt with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Daniel and the prophets and on down through Jesus Christ and Peter and James and John. Later the Apostle Paul and God's church has come right down through, of course, as we know, uh, Polycarp and Polycarp and and all through the Middle Ages down to us and had faithful men and women carry on the church. Some of them were tortured. Some of them suffered terrible deaths through martyrdom. But we've got to make God real to us. So we need to pray to God. Use us, empower us as a church. Help us to have an impact on this sick world. This world out there still does not know that we exist. Most of you realize that if you think about it realistically. Few people do, but as a whole they don't know we exist. And so God is going to lift us at some point, or if we won't do it, He'll use someone else. He'll raise up rocks that will do His work. But I've never seen him go out and raise up rocks if he has a whole church full of people that want to do it and are basically walking his way. He does not do that. So pray to God for pouring out his Spirit. And then, brethren, the fourth key that you've heard me mention so much is fasting. Many of us do not fast. We don't like to fast. But learn to exercise. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Self-control. And if you learn to fast about once a month... And some of you may fast a little more often, some a little less often if you have terrible health problems. But you should learn to fast regularly, not just on the Day of Atonement, unless you have some serious health problem that would make that dangerous for you to do so. But otherwise you can. I'm 80 years old and I've had two or three strokes, I think at least. And I try to fast about once a month, sometimes twice a month, sometimes they skip a month, but try to average about once a month and I find it hasn't killed me yet. It hasn't killed me for 80 years now. (laughs) So anyway, I didn't start fasting until I was 19, I guess. But at any rate, it does not kill you to fast. It actually may help you to live longer. You think you're going to die, but you won't. (laughs) Just eat nothing and pray to God and study the Bible and drink out of it and feed on Christ and try to grow close to God with all of your being. And then the fifth thing, of course, the fifth key is to exercise God's Spirit. Use the Holy Spirit daily, hourly in your life and in service. So use all those keys more and more. Follow through with the feast. So we need to do that. And we need to grow. And we need to have a far greater impact on this world. We've got to, brethren. This is the church of the living God. And God wants us to have an impact, I'm sure. The time is drawing near when Satan the devil is going to empower false ministers to perform great miracles and signs and lying wonders. He's going to cause this final great false prophet Read it if you're not familiar We're in Revelation 13, verse 13, two thirteens. Revelation 13, 13. The great false prophet's going to bring fire down from heaven. In our time, that is the time of all you younger people at least, if you live on and aren't dying prematurely for some reason. That's going to be a very exciting time, and there will be false miracles more and more. And that indicates, and other statements in the Bible frankly indicate, that whenever God allowed false ministers and false servants like Pharaoh's servants who were magicians to do things like that, His servants always did greater things. Read it in the Bible, in the examples of the Bible everywhere. So what is the key? What is the one key gift that would empower us and help us reach out and shape people and let them know where God's church is, where God's true servants are, more than any other one gift that you could think of in that way. Certainly we need more love, and that should be behind everything else, but they can't necessarily see that they're carnal. We need more joy and peace, and we need all these other things. But what is the one key that the Bible describes over and over that would lift us and set us apart from the pack, so to speak? and help people realize where God is working. We have to think about that. What would make God more real and God more wonderful to people in the world that they heard about it from God's servants and make only even the church people all over be very inspired? What would show where God is working more than most of the things you can think of in that way, especially to people with carnal minds who don't understand necessarily spiritual things? Well, think about what original Christianity did. My booklet, we're going to change the title from Apostolic Christianity when we use up those booklets on, on restoring original Christianity because apostolics sometimes make people think something else. Restoring original Christianity. And we've got to get back to that. As I've said, that's one of the main themes of our work is restore original Christianity. What did Jesus and the apostles do that set them apart? What key gift did they have that showed where Christ was working and where God was working among the early church, perhaps more than any other? What was an integral part, an integral part in the Bible, we're not inventing something new, was right there over and over and over as a very integral part of preaching the gospel. Most of you know where I'm headed, but let's turn first of all to the very beginning of Jesus Christ's gospel, the very first part of His ministry. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, brethren. Matthew, if you would now, chapter 4. And here we're coming up just before the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, it shows the beginning of Christ's preaching now Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom constantly preaching about the coming kingdom or government of God on this earth and healing that's the next thing he did healing all kinds of sickness you say oh what about AIDS you think God is nonplussed because of AIDS he's not impressed by that It doesn't make any difference God is God. What about these other so-called incurable diseases? Nothing is impossible with God. He healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. That's what He did. And all that was the beginning of what He did, setting that example. And all through that part, they brought to Him sick people afflicted with various diseases, all kinds of diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed. Often healing the sick was tied in with casting out demons. That was the other thing they were to do. Epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. So he healed them all because he was God in the flesh. And he had perfect faith. We don't have perfect faith and we know that. But that's what Jesus Christ did do. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the way he thinks. That's the way he is. So let's turn on and see what he did and then what the apostles did and try to learn how that affects us. Turn now to chapter 8 at 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew or the Sermon on the Mount. So going ahead in chapter 8 of Matthew, you pick up the story of his ministry, so to speak, after this wonderful foundational sermon that we often call the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, that at that time was one of those so-called incurable diseases. They had no way to cure it, you see. Did Jesus have a way to cure it? Well, of course he did. And Jesus said, I am willing and touched him, and I am willing to be cleansed. And his leprosy was cleansed. Often Christ healed immediately. And he told him to go and show himself to the priest and so on. And then a centurion comes along and said, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof, but I have a child, a servant home, uh, uh, paralyzed and dreadfully ill. And the servant said, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. And when Jesus heard it, he said, you just give the word and when Jesus heard it he marveled and said "Assuredly, I say to you I have not found such great faith not even in Israel this Italian captain of a hundred other soldiers was very uh, powerful no doubt in his declaration and I remember always and I was in Rome and the first time I guess in 1954 and we were going around through the various cathedrals just as tourists and and uh, uh this American woman was saying, well, well Gertrude, it's it's nice to be here in in, in Saint Mary major And the guide next door, I was listening to him, the Italian guide. He says there, whatever, he says something. We're here with uh, the Catridao Santa Maria Maggiore. And I thought, boy, that sounds authoritative. (laughs) So I can hear this Italian captain saying, it'll be done. You just said, it'll be done. Jesus said, okay, this guy believes. The, The tone of his voice, the way he said it, he believed. And Jesus was very moved by that. I have not found this kind of faith even in Israel. And I say to you, many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. It's not going to be just the Jews. It's going to be the Italians and the Germans and the French and the Spanish and everybody from all over are going to come down and sit in the kingdom of God, find their kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, those Jews who were self-righteous, of course, at that time would be cast out. We know later they'll have a real chance in the great white throne judgment. But in the immediate term, they were to be cast out. And so he told the centurion, Go your way. Your servant will be healed. And now Jesus comes to Peter's house and saw Peter's wife's mother lying sick with a fever. Verse 14. Now Peter was supposed to be the first pope. And the popes were not supposed to be married. But Peter had a (laughs) mother-in-law. So he was married. And of course that's called a doctrine of demons back in 1 Timothy 4, this idea that you're not to marry. But at any rate, He had a mother-in-law, and Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed. So now Jesus healed all, not just some, all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which Isaiah wrote. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And brethren, I could give a whole sermon on this other aspect, which I have done once in a while. Remember, when we take the Passover, that broken bread symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ for our healing. You want to never forget that. When you come to the Passover and there's broken bread first, and the bread is put first because Jesus was scourged first— In the early morning hours, then he was taken out about nine o'clock to be crucified and hung on the cross from about nine in the morning till three in the afternoon. But his body was torn by this terrible scourging, as you read about, and Jesus took the penalty of our physical sins in that way, paid for them just as he paid for our spiritual sins by shedding his blood so we can be healed. I might digress one more time as I will many times perhaps through the sermon but I, I but Dr. Winnell gave a fine sermon a few months ago about the laws of health and brethren you should not expect God to constantly heal every time you get the sniffles or cut yourself a little bit or do something stupid and he immediately performs some great miracle because you don't take care of yourselves you're supposed to take care of yourself You should try not to break the physical laws that God has put in motion, the laws of health. Take care of yourself. Do your part. But if you accidentally fall and hurt yourself, if you accidentally cut yourself really bad, I'm always banging myself, especially on the left hand because of my stroke. It just flops here and there like a loose coat sleeve. And so God doesn't heal. I can't say, well, God healed this and here's another little scratch. I don't do that. But if there's something serious, I would ask God to heal it. And if we cry out to God and expect Him to, when there's a real serious thing, if we I used to eat a lot of ice cream. I really loved ice cream. And uh, ate ice cream four, five, six times a night, or, or a, a week, I mean. A <laughs> no, I didn't do that every night. Four to six times a week. I just loved ice cream. And I would, back in Missouri somehow, because the weather and other, I'd get all stuffed up and my nose would run. And even after I was in California, that would happen some as I learned to have, be more careful. But still, I would get this stuffiness. And I didn't ask God to heal me every time that happened, because I thought, well, God sees me eating this ice cream, and I've got to quit eating ice cream and not just expect that Christ's sacrifice is going to be applied foolishly. You see what I mean, or, or for no good purpose, because of my own weakness and foolishness. Don't do that. But if there's something serious, a definite thing that needs to be healed, you can come and you should come to God and ask God to intervene supernaturally. And for those of you who are new in the church, and for those who may hear this, and we're taping this, of course, for people all around the world, I was inspired, as I have been in the past, but recently, and not recently, and several years ago, we went to South Africa, and they're way down in Cape Town at the end of the world. They're hearing our sermons down there regularly, Uh, You know, and more often than other places because they don't have a lot of ministers or ministers from Ambassador College. And the local elders allow the tapes to be played more often and don't want to preach three out of four times necessarily. And we found the same thing down in Perth, Australia, way, way off at the end of Australia. They say we're at the end of the world also. Those two places are about as far away as you can get and still be on the earth. And they would hear our sermons. That nice little hall is very nice. But I thought, we these people in a very nice hall are hearing our sermons every Sabbath. And so we're able to help them. And I greet, greetings to you brethren in Cape Town and in Perth and everywhere else. We're glad to have you tune into these services. But at any rate, as a church, remember, we don't say don't ever go to a doctor. It is not wrong to go to a doctor to get a checkup to find out what you have. And there are things doctors can do, and each of you has to decide how far you go. But you don't want to put your full trust in doctors, and frankly, most intelligent doctors don't do that themselves. I've learned that talking to them. They know better. As I say at the beginning of my booklet on healing, Does God Heal Today, this young medical doctor, a woman who just graduated from a prestigious medical college, she said, That in the commencement address, they don't call it commencement, but the end of the college, not the commencement. They call it commencing your life then, you see. The dean of the medical school, whoever it was, gave them this address. And he said, about half of what we taught you here in medical school is wrong. He said, we're not sure which half. And you know, these things they understand that they're they're constantly that's why they say they are practicing medicine. When I was growing up I remember my mother would read lots of things, and she was always very much with it, and I kind of kidded her sometimes in a wrong way, sarcastic, because I was a carnal teenager, strange as that may sound. I wasn't converted at all, but some of the medical books and medical-type articles coming out in the magazines would say how it's wrong for a woman to nurse her baby, and it's better if they get this wonderful uh, milk, you know, and formulas, and now they say, no, mother's milk is the very best, and the creator, they don't say it this way, the way we do but we know the creator of the heavens and the earth made a mother's milk to be the very best thing for her baby and her particular milk from her particular body who is the mother of that baby god designed her milk not some other woman's milk to be the best for her baby is that strange well of course not very logical if you believe in a real god who made us in his image but they didn't do that Then they were having articles up until the last few years showing how the practice of circumcision is barbaric. And you cut on a little boy and cut off this foreskin and all, and he cries, and isn't that terrible? That's barbaric. Now they're beginning to practice circumcision more and more all over the world, and even making a national campaign to do that in many major nations in Africa, because they have found they have an awesome Amount of venereal disease in those nations, and if the men are circumcised, they do not get venereal disease near as often, and their female partners do not get venereal disease near as often. They are more clean, and so on, without me going into the gory details. It has uh, saved millions of lives, millions of lives to do that one little thing that was in God's statutes. So as the booklet, None of These Diseases, pointed out by Dr. Mendelsohn, uh, that uh, uh, science arrived 3,500 years late, <laughs> is the way he put it. They Moses had it, and Abraham even had it, and counting from Abraham until now, I think, he was estimating 3,500 years. They'd finally, finally sort of begin to figure it out. The Creator knew best all along. So there are things doctors should not do. Many of their strong drugs or all their drugs have a side effect. I hope you know that every single drug, brethren, around the world has a side effect, nearly always a bad side effect. Sometimes the good effect is better more than the bad side effect, but you've got to be careful. But above and beyond, get this, above and beyond what man can do, God can intervene, has intervened, does intervene. And it's not wrong for you to do certain things, but you'd better not get your mind on that as the ultimate answer. You've got to get your mind on God. You've got to have this book and the words of this book pulsing through your mind to where you begin to get a degree of faith that you know that God will intervene. And if you get all these drugs and start taking, and then you watch television all the time and they've got a pill to wake up and a pill to go to bed and a pill when you have a headache and a pill when you have a fever and a pill for this and a pill for that, You see what I mean? Your mind's on all that stuff. And it cannot be on God if your mind is filled with all of that stuff. It just can't be. You are wrecking your faith. You're wrecking your 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 relationship with God in that way. So you've got to get that straight. So you've got to go back and see what Jesus did do and what real Christianity is all about. Jesus took on Himself our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So in Matthew... 5, 6, and 7 you have the Sermon on the Mount and then in chapter 8 right away he heals the man with leprosy then he heals a centurion servant and right after that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Three healings in a row just start right off the sermon or the, the message from Matthew here about the ministry of Jesus Christ. So over and over again you find that healing was an integral part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And again, Hebrews 13, verse 8, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. We're the ones who've changed. We're the ones who've lost faith in God. We're the ones who are breaking God's law right and left. We're the ones, many of us are letting our bodies run down because we will not exercise. We're eating way too much. Many of us are way too fat. You know that. It's an absolute plague in the United States. There have been major articles in magazine after magazine how the Americans are getting more and more obese as a nation. And so if you're fat, these other things start happening a lot more quickly. So take care of yourself. Eat carefully. Eat more fresh vegetables and fresh fruits and lean meats and eat less bread and less starch and less sugar and walk. Walk. My wife and I notice when we go to Europe, you don't find near as many fat people in most of the countries over there. Why? Because they don't all have personal cars over there. They walk. They'll take a train, but then they have to walk a mile or two to other somewhere else. They're walking, walking, walking all over the place. It's not difficult. If you learn to walk at least two to four miles a day, most of you, like they do, you wouldn't be fat and you would live longer. And I'm not just preaching to you in this room. I want all our brethren around the world to understand that. Get exercise and diet carefully. Another major uh, law of health, as I wrote in the booklet, is have a positive mind. They say sometimes it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. You get all torn up in your emotions and you're worried about this and frustrated and you're mad at people. Then what happens? Well, you're going to have all kinds of problems. So you've got to learn to have a positive attitude. And another major thing, which I pointed out, and you can't always do this, but you should certainly try harder than many of us do, is avoid bodily injury. That's another one of the major laws. You can have all the, obey all the laws and eat good and go lift weights and get big and strong and become Miss America or Mr. America and then hi John and go like running across the street in front of a truck. <laughs> and all the rest of it goes down the, down the tube. You get hit by a truck. So avoid bodily injury and that's a very major thing to learn to do. So you've got to do your part, but above and beyond that, We need to have God to intervene. Another thing I pointed out, and I want you to remember, those of you again who are new, we're having a lot of sicknesses, but all around the world, and especially in the nations of Israel, we're going to have far, far more sicknesses within the next 5 to 15 years because there are going to be plagues and the hospitals will be absolutely swarming with people and the doctors and nurses are very good people, most of them, they mean well. But they won't be able to handle all this. They're just the, the medical staffs will be overwhelmed with the number of sick people. It'll be just too much. What will happen then? God's true people who put their faith and trust in Him will be able to be healed. Think about it. We're entering the last age right now. Where is your trust? Yes, do your part. Take care of your body. If you get an injury or your bone needs to be set or something, certainly let the doctor do that. Have the doctors do those things that are necessary, but above and beyond that, look to God, the Creator, the one who made your body, and to Jesus Christ, who allowed His body to be broken in that terrible scourging, so that He, by His stripes, we were healed. So Jesus gives here example after example of uh, uh, of healing, and so we need to understand that, and that that was such a major part of the ministry now turn to matthew chapter 9 this time and beginning in verse 7 he arose from uh healing this paralytic and then he comes before the multitudes and they glorified god that had given such power to men and as he uh comes on down he calls matthew and then he said uh, to in verse 12 but when jesus heard that he said, Teacher, why do you students eat wheat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 12, Jesus He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus did not condemn the physicians unilaterally. There are things they can do. Jesus said that in a positive way, not a negative way. But go and learn this that is, their mercy, desire mercy and not sacrifice, it are not called to come the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we do want to do our part in the right way, but we've got to have faith, of course, in order to be healed. Turn to chapter 10 now, if you would. Matthew 10 and beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had called his twelve disciples, he gave power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal. Who did he heal? Every kind of sickness, it did not make any difference to God. We've got to really believe that and get our mind where God's mind is. He healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Then He names the twelve apostles, and He sent them out in verse 5 and told them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And He said, verse 7, as you go, preach. So that's the first thing they were to do. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Secondly, verse 8, heal the sick. First, preach the gospel. Number two, heal the sick and cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead is part of that, putting people back to physical health. Frankly, that raise the dead, if you look at the footnote, which I have, it says the M omits raise the dead. That is the major uh, manuscript here that we rely on does not have that in it. So that may not have been part of that command. But the other is. Cast out demons, that is in there. So they were to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out demons. Those three things always went together over and over again. I could read you 10 or 15 different scriptures on that, which I've done before through Mark, especially Mark chapters 3 to 7, through those areas you'll see. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. He said those things, or they did those things over and over so those are the three main aspects of preaching the gospel. Because the good news of the coming government of God was amplified by showing the power of God not just to forgive spiritual sins, but healing the sick was a type of forgiving spiritual sin, you see. And God showed that the power of His kingdom was greater than those things. And that then showed where God was working. and showed where God was working as they did those things. So He told them to do those three things, and He sent the twelve out. Then in verse 14, or chapter 14 of Matthew, turn now back to Matthew. I'm just going to keep in Matthew for a while. It may be easier to turn there and get all these, and God inspired this. In Matthew chapter 14 and beginning in verse 23, when He would sent the multitudes away after feeding them, He went on the mountain to Himself to pray. So here he was, Jesus, all alone on the top of this big hill. They didn't have huge mountains like in the Himalayas, but they had big hills. And he was by himself up there on the side of a hill, praying, no doubt, under the stars. Very clear evenings there in Israel, no smog. <laughs> and when evening had come, he was alone. And the boat they were taking across was being tossed by the waves in the fourth watch. Jesus started walking across. He was God. Again, that shouldn't be shocking. If you really come to believe in God and you read these things and you picture it, here it was the one who had created that big lake. It's called the Lake of Genesaret, in some accounts, or the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberius. It wasn't a big sea by comparison with the Mediterranean or certainly not the Atlantic Ocean. Just a great big lake. Who had made that lake? It was him. He made it. He wasn't saying, oh, how could I'm going to drown in this big lake? Well, of course, he had total faith. He knew God. He walked with God. So he walks across this big lake he'd made a few thousand years earlier. And that was no big problem. And here he was walking, and the disciples saw him, and they cried out. They were astonished. They thought it was a, a demons or a spook or something. And they were astonished. And so he came to them, be of good cheer, verse 27. It's me, don't be afraid. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You see, Peter is always the more aggressive one and God did use him in spite of his being overly aggressive and sometimes he stuck his foot in his mouth. He did have a problem, but he was a leader. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water. Didn't say he immediately sunk. He may have walked 5 or 15 or 20 feet. We don't know how far. He walked a while on the water. Peter did, just like you and me, a human being. But when he saw the water was boisterous, it began to look around. What was he doing? First, he looked at Jesus. He got down. As we say, he got his eyes off Christ, as we do. And he began to, well, I don't know about this. This looks more scary here than what God's Word says. So then he began to sing. And so he was afraid, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, what? Oh, you of little faith. He'd say, well, I understand it's hard to believe in God and, and you know, we're all human and, and uh, you know. No, Jesus indicated that we human beings ought to begin to develop a type of relationship with God like Jesus had, which I don't have and you don't have to the same degree. But we'd better be working on it. All of us had better be working on it develop this type of relationship to where we know, and we know that we know that we are God's sons and daughters. We're God's children. He is with us. Every hair of our head is numbered. He has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And really believe that right down to our toenails. He said, why can't you believe? What's wrong? That's what Jesus said and quite a number of things. Why did you doubt? And so then... When he got out into the boat, the wind ceased. Right away, here's the creator who created the wind, stepped into the boat. The big fan has turned off, you know, so to speak, and chills went up and down their spine. They saw him walk in the water. The wind was going all of a sudden. He steps into the boat, dead silence. And they must have had chills up and down their spine and maybe tears in their eyes. This was God standing in their midst. And they took him for granted quite often, because they were human, and he'd get in and out of the boat, and he looked like any other man, but he wasn't. He had to fill it with God's Spirit. And so they said, truly, you're the Son of God. And so when the men of that place recognized him as he came to land, they brought him all who were sick, verse 36, and they begged him that if, that they might only touch the hem of his garment, just lay hand on his jacket or his, or his robe, And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. He was filled with God's Holy Spirit. He'd prayed apparently for hours that preceding night. says back in verse 23, when He sent away the multitude, and other scriptures show He came to them in the fourth watch of the night. He probably had hours of praying to God, looking up to the stars of the moon, said, Father, I'm down here. You're up there. I'm your servant. Please help me. Give me that strength. Help me to do what you would want me to do and empower me. And he was filled with God's Spirit and performed miracle after miracle after that long night of prayer. And we see tremendous things being done. And when he touched these people, or they touched him, they weren't partially healed. That's another thing, brethren. They were made perfectly whole. Perfectly whole. Now, that doesn't mean that God, if God chooses to heal my stroke that He's going to make me, instead of 80, I'll suddenly be 20 years old again. Uh, we know that, but He would make me a strong 80-year-old, not a strong 20-year-old. But we know that God will make us perfectly whole if He heals us, because that's what He did do. And I could read other scriptures too, but I'd better not dwell on that repetition, but that's what He did do. And so we really want to understand that. Now going to chapter 17 uh here in chapter 17 of Matthew, uh beginning in verse 16. So he had healed an epileptic, and so I brought to him your disciples, the uh, man said, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus answered when they could not cure this young man. He said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, what would he say about us? I would hate to hear it. <laughs> we, we lack faith probably even more than they did. Oh, faithless and pervert. You just can't seem to believe in the real God. God's way off and you've been watching television and you've got all this stuff in your head and you're used to taking this pill and that pill and all these bugs and medicines and your mind's all on that. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And he cast him out him. And the trial was cured in that very hour. And the disciples said, why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said, verse 20, because of your unbelief, we've got to learn to have faith in God. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, we know that the mustard seed is one of the tiniest seeds of all, and yet it grows into a great tree. If you just have a little bit of faith, Real faith, though, not doubt and not hope, but faith. That's the difference. Then you will say to this mountain, move from here and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. However, verse 21, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. And that's also mentioned, as you know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, about the same event. He mentions that twice. This kind, certain kinds of demons are tenacious. They will not come out by anything but prayer and fasting. Where you do without food, you're extremely dedicated, extremely earnest, crying out to God with your whole being, then God will hear, no matter what it is. Prayer and fasting. So we have to have that understanding. And then we turn, if you would, to verse uh, to chapter 28 the very end of this book of Matthew, as he had already been nailed to the cross, had uh, uh, ready to ascend to heaven, and then uh, they came and worshipped him in verse 17. And then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things. He didn't say just believe all doctrines. He said observe all things. What is one of those things? Preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and casting out demons. Observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. He'll be with us in what? In those things. In preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons i will be with you to the end of the age so christ will not give up on us but many of us in our attitudes have given up on him and we have to really realize that brethren and try to recover the faith that we ought to have and some did have perhaps years ago and build faith beyond what we ever had turn now to luke if you would luke chapter 10 at this point luke chapter 10 Many people of the Protestant world think, Oh, this was just for the twelve apostles and for that time, blah, blah, blah. No, it was not. Notice Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the eternal, or Lord, I should say, it's not eternal in the New Testament. The Lord appointed, they didn't vote, He appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face. Thirty-five teams of young men were going out all over Israel Seventy others beside the twelve. They weren't apostles. Never called apostles anywhere else in the Bible. They were just young disciples, students, trainees of Christ. And like Mr. Armstrong sent out, you know, Raymond McNair and Raymond Cole and Herman Hay and I and many of others of us. when we were just 21, 24, 28 years old on baptizing tours. And we were delegated by him to baptize people. He backed us up, God did, when we went out. As I looked back, I thought I was too young. And I thought, well, God used us. And I can name a number of very fine men that we baptized that stayed right on through the church and overcame men and women. And because we were acting for the apostle, and we were sincere, and what were we ordained as? Nothing. We weren't even assistant deacons. But we were sent out on baptizing tours, and God backed it up. So anyway, He sent these young men out, And he said in verse 8, Whatever city you enter, they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. Verse 9, and heal the sick. He commanded these young men, Heal the sick who are there. And say to them, The kingdom of God. You see, the government of God has come on you. This healing, these miracles showed the power of that creator, the real government that was backed up by that power. And so they were told to heal the sick. And certainly they did do that. Well, what about casting out demons, you might say? Well, turn to verse 17. Then they returned, the 70, with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So the demons were cast out. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. Those are the things. Christ will be with you in these things. And he is going to be with us to the end of the age. But we've got to have faith, brethren, more than we have had. I think most of you know I might digress for a moment but not digress I plan to do this just don't have it in my notes we have a whole bunch of sick people one or two of our ministers have mentioned that we've had a lot of fine healings in the last year or so and we have had and I appreciate that I appreciate that I thank God for that and have a number of times but we do not begin to get ready to commence to have the kind of healings they had in the book of Acts and I think all of us would understand that when you read the book of Acts again we need to have far more healings. We need to have far more divine interventions. And we have among us right here a number of very dedicated people like Mr. Wayne Pyle, who is under a death sentence. As some of you know, the doctor has told him that he has a case of terminal cancer unless God heals him. And he needs your prayers with an understanding that that's, that's it. I know his attitude and talking to him a number of times, just like me. He doesn't demand that God make him well, but he's younger than I am by about 15 years, so he should normally have another 10 or 15 years beyond this, at least. We'd all like to live to be Mr. Partian's age, who's about 94 or 6 or 7 or something, but he's way up in his 90s, and his wife has acknowledged that he's had a wonderful long life. But on the other hand, he's lying there right now in the hospital. I saw him, uh, by the way, just yesterday afternoon, and he is in basically good spirits, though he looked very peaked. He had this nose uh, breather thing apparatus because he's trying to get there, get this air properly. And then he had just had a pacemaker stuck in, and the nurse pointed out on the screen the heartbeats were more regular now that he has the pacemaker come there, and he's doing better. And I tried to kid with him and encourage him. And I tried not to stay too too long, even though he's been one of my two or three best friends for 55 years. I first met him 55 years ago last summer. But anyway, he certainly needs our prayers. And God can give him another three to six years or more if God wants to, even if he's 94, perhaps 96 or whatever. But we know that God is his father and he served God all these years and we don't want him to die some painful death and at least that's not occurring but pray for him he's sick and he's having this a series of he came down with pneumonia on the way from uh, uh, Martinique to to Puerto Rico to change planes and then a congestive heart failure and then was in the hospital and then was flown back here by air ambulance and here he is So pray for him, right? One of our leading ministers right here in this this ministry. Very dedicated man. And then we have, of course, Mr. Tom Baca, who's in a very critical position, the director of our television studio and the best director we've ever had in that way. And he tripped in Helen, Georgia, at the feast and really twisted his ankle something horrible and he said it was really weird to see his i talked to him the other day his foot turned around backwards for a while and uh, it was just really bad and terrible pain and so he's had an operation and they've said it which he should have an operation for something like that obviously but at any rate he needs our prayers and we should pray for him and my wife by the way we thought was much much better but somehow just this morning she was trying to feed the dog and close the door do something and her her shoulder started hurting again quite a bit so I'd appreciate your prayers for her she was trying to help me because of all my problems and uh, not being able to carry things and at the feast in uh, uh, Branson Missouri We had a nice unit there, but our particular condo was a lower floor on the side of a hill. So the parking lot was up here and we were down and she was trying to carry her purse and sweater in one arm and my briefcase in the other because I start to fall over if I carry a briefcase downstairs often. So she was carrying it down and all of a sudden she slipped. And I heard her kind of yelp or something, and I was grabbing the right rail. I can come down all right if I hang onto the rail and I took my left hand as she came by me, but that's the one that doesn't have any feeling in it I keep banging I don't and I just she just went right by, bang, she hit on the concrete, and I thought she might have broken her back or her neck or something. I really was very concerned and had to hurry down to her. And God was merciful. It could have been far worse, far worse. But at any rate, she really hurt her shoulder and broke the shoulder bone or a crack there. The x-ray, we took her into the emergency and they showed the crack and then a chip on that bone and the chip is gone. That seemed to be like a miracle and she seemed better. But anyway, please pray for her. And then there are a whole lot of other people, as you know, who have various sicknesses and diseases around the country, very serious sicknesses and diseases, and need to be healed. These are just some I'm naming right here, and I better stop there, because if I start across the country, I'll leave someone out. We have a lot of people with very, very serious sicknesses, diseases, ailments, that need Almighty God's intervention. And I hope you'll pray for them all, and ask God to intervene We need His healing very, very much, brethren. And as times get worse, what's going to happen? We're going to have more sickness because there will be more bad foods and more poison this and poison that. And then the actual disease epidemics are going to come. And boy, will we need God's help then. So we want to get our minds on healing. And I would like to ask you, and I would like to ask you, brethren, in Perth and Cape Town and London and and Ontario, uh, Toronto, and all around the nation, around the world... Let's have a crusade as the church of the living God. Let's have a crusade to ask God to give us these gifts of the Spirit more powerfully than we have ever had. More powerfully than we have ever had. And we need to think about it in that way and get our minds on those things and focus on the Bible and what did happen in the Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 4 now, if you would, in your New Testament, Acts chapter 4. And here we find apostolic Christianity, what they did do. In Acts 4, why they had been threatening the apostles and so on. And uh, and Peter talked about the fact that the one that they had healed was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you have crucified, verse 10. And then in verse 13... When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Acts 4, verse 13, these uh, religious Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the great religious leaders of that day, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They didn't come across with real smooth, oily voices. And like these men, as I've said, I, I noticed our own Methodist minister in other places sometimes uh, when I was an evil teenager. And rather than praying, the church would bow their heads and I'd be watching his eyes. And he was reading this old prayer that some English bishop had written 150 years ago, <laughs> and not praying from the heart at all. Very eloquent, but not a heartfelt prayer to God at all. And they didn't seem like these these trained theologians. But they realized they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Think about that. When we preach the truth, they're going to say, what's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you, Rod Meredith? You're not patriotic. You're not loyal. You're talking about a coming government of God and saying this government is bad. And what's wrong with you, Mr. Ames? What's wrong with you? You know, Wally Smith, Rod King, whoever else is preaching on television, or you individual ministers around the world. They're going to come after us. They're not going to like what we do. But what is the answer? They really, their words didn't carry much weight when they saw a man healed right in their midst. What a testimony. That one gift just lifted these men beyond what their adversaries could come up with. So seeing the man who'd been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But then they threatened them and commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, And then in verse 23, being let go, they went back to their companions, to this whole group of Christians. There apparently were dozens or scores of them. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Now, they weren't inspired all to say the same word. So one man was their leader, no doubt. But they all prayed fervently together and said, You are God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is and is, the real God, the Creator. Who by the mouth of your servant, David, said, why did the nations rage? And why are the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ? For truly against your holy servant and your King James is wrong. That's one reason the new King James is better. Says child, they're always trying to make Jesus into a little baby all his life. No, he was not. The Bible only shows him a little baby for a very, very short time. And the original Greek in these places is translated in the new, new all the newer translations, servant. He was not a child. In the name of your servant, as it should be, uh, Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and all were gathered together to do what your hand and your purpose determined. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Brethren, we need to pray that. And someday maybe we will say a prayer here all together. I'm not saying it's time right now. Maybe God will just inspire Mr. Ames or me or some of us to lead the whole congregation in this kind of a prayer. But grant us that we may speak the word with boldness. How? By stretching forth your hand to heal. As God begins to heal, what do the ministers do? They have even more courage, more faith, more boldness. God is with us. People are being healed here and there. Can you imagine the the thrill, the exhilaration, the increase of faith that that would bring throughout the ministry and throughout the church of God if people were being healed and different ones of us would go up and down the aisle, so to speak, and be healed, be healed, or take you into the anointing room and almost all would come out and be healed right then. A thrill of excitement would go across the world and people would begin to hear about it for several months in the church of God later would be in the other churches of God and then gradually that understanding and knowledge would no doubt spread to the evangelical churches many of them are very sincere people and then after a year or two it might get over into other so-called Christians and even into the pagan nations of China and India and elsewhere they begin to hear that somewhere on this earth somewhere are people that really do know a real God they don't just have a faith and, a crea- you know, idea of the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith and the Hindu faith and all these ideas and these rituals of men. They know the creator of heaven and earth and he is backing them up by direct miracles. The thrill of excitement that will begin to emanate around the earth would be profound if that were to happen. And that would be one of the greatest keys to lift us and help people to know where Christ is working. And so I pray that God will help all of you to get the picture and you brethren around the world, let's have a crusade to ask God to do this. So he said, Grant that with all boldness by speak to speak your word by, in other words, by by giving them that extra courage by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. My child, holy servant. And when they prayed, the place was shaken. God shook the building. I'd like for God to shake our building hope we wouldn't have to repair it too much <laughs> I'm sure he would shake it so it wouldn't ruin anything but he shook the building and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness because God had intervened and in shaken the building and they could sense that again they must have had a thrill of, of excitement and joy as God literally shook the building when the man said amen and suddenly the building shook and The oh, <laughs> the big boss is speaking the big boss is alive. He is here. So let's understand that, brethren. We've got to begin to have that attitude and seek for those things more than ever. So the entire church cried out to God and asked Him to intervene. And so should we as a church begin to cry out for the gifts of healing. Say, Father in heaven, heal Wayne Pyle, your servant. Heal in your servant. Heal Tom Baca, your servant. Heal Mrs. Meredith. Heal others who have sickness, disease, ailments. Ask God to intervene. And if God lets some of us die at age 80 or 94, we don't want to give up because of that. But certainly God will normally heal those who are much younger and He may heal some of us even who are older, but that's up to Him. He knows what's best. But we want to cry out to Him to intervene and have faith that if it's the best thing to do, He will intervene. And the vast majority of times He will intervene, by the way, brethren. If there's that attitude of faith, it isn't that God will intervene one-tenth of the time or half the time, uh, as I'll go on and describe to you. It ought to be most of the time, and in some cases, the vast majority of the time, certainly for those who are younger and and ought to be healed in a special way. All right, we want to think about that. So we want to ask God for these gifts. Now let's turn to chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 now, and beginning here, if you would, in uh, uh, verse 4 this is after Stephen's death Paul had just helped them held their cloaks while they stoned Stephen to death and so therefore verse 4 those who were scattered the disciples were scattered and brethren scattered all over I should say not the disciples they went everywhere preaching the word then Philip who's Philip? was he some apostle? no He was a young man ordained as a deacon, as you know, uh, in Acts chapter 6. And he and Stephen began to be used as evangelists. So maybe he was ordained by them as an evangelist or being used that way. But he was not an apostle. A young man, but very zealous. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Notice the wording there. They heeded the things spoken by him. Why? Because they were seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. That backed up their preaching. That showed the power of God was with this man. They weren't impressed just with his arguments. He had good arguments. But lots of people have good arguments. I always remember being with Dick. Armstrong and his parents over in England in 1954. Dick had taken me on the continent for five and a half weeks in his little Hillman Minx small British car and came back and about ten days or two weeks later the Armstrong showed up and they were with us the rest of the summer. So he took them for a shorter time, about two and a half weeks on the continent and I stayed behind with all my friends except I didn't have any friends. Nobody. I literally mean that. There was no church there. I knew not one single solitary human being there. Zero. And so I was all alone in the wilderness of London, England, of <laughs> course. Nice city. But for two and a half weeks. So I had to busy myself with studying and praying and walking over to... to. uh What's his name street? Uh, I guess they can't. Shaftesbury. Anyway, what the bookstores are. Dr. Hay used to go there and I'd go look at all the bookstores and, and then I went across, right across the street from our hotel, the, uh, uh Cumberland at Marble Arts. They have a place they used to call Orator's Corner i think they've given it a different name now but the the people would come there every day and now i think it's just on sundays but then there were more people out of work in those days and after the war was still problems and they would talk and i don't mean there'd be two or three dozen there'd be two or three hundred people sometimes five or seven hundred or a thousand would be around and you'd have five or ten or twelve different soap boxes literally boxes these men would get up some members of parliament would come there it wasn't considered a cheap bad place It was just an open-air expression where people could get up and they could say anything they wanted to as long as they didn't advocate the overthrow of the government or insult Her Majesty the Queen. Anything else was okay. (laughs) So they could talk about socialism and communism and and, uh, all kinds of religion and everything as long as they didn't directly say overthrow the government. But these, I I got a lot of interesting ideas hearing all these fellows talk and then... One day, a young couple got up, a couple of young men, I should say, about my age. I was 24, and they were approximately my age and, you know, well-dressed, intelligent young men. And they turned out to be Mormons. And they got up, and they were talking about Matthew 24, and there's got to be war and rumors of war and false prophets and this and that and disease epidemics and earthquakes. I thought, boy, they know the whole truth. And for the first 10 or 15 minutes, they were preaching exactly what Mr. Armstrong preached. But after about 15 minutes, they went away, you know. But a lot of people have bits and pieces of the truth. How do you know? How do you know? At some point, God will help these people know by giving the gifts of the Spirit to His true servants. Now, they can know if they fully study and pray and take our correspondence course and all the rest of it. I understand that. But he may speed up the process and make our message far more uh, powerful, more quickly by giving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I heard those that I always remember that example of saying, well, boy, they seem to have everything at that point. But they went off, of course, they did not understand uh, the Ten Commandments. They did not understand the Sabbath. They did not understand our national identity. And so when they talked about the end of the age, they was very general and vague and they didn't know specific things at all because they were not called. They avoided their peculiar Mormon theology, of course. They kept that in the background so they wouldn't offend anybody. What they did give seemed sensible on the surface. Anyway, we've got to have those gifts to be powerful. This powerful gift will empower the work as much as anything else could do. This is original Christianity. This is what Jesus did do. This is what the apostles did do. This is what Philip did do. Here a little later in this chapter, people heeded, uh, no, excuse, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. as see, were to preach both those things. The message about the coming government of God and the name The name means everything to do with Christ, his message, his person, everything about him, which certainly includes his true message. Then they believed and were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. By whom? By this young man who just been ordained a deacon a few weeks or months earlier. And maybe God considered him an evangelist by this time. So, but we do need to understand that. And brethren, we need to cry out. Really cry out for the gifts of the Spirit. And I hope that we can. Notice here in Luke 18, if you would now, let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke chapter 18 at this point, uh, a very powerful uh, message that you've heard us mention, a principle. But we've got to really pay heed to this in our church especially. We should understand. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus spoke a parable that men always ought to pray. Don't ever give up praying and not to faint or not to lose heart Don't, just because God doesn't hear right away. Saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God and regard man and a widow came, avenged me of my adversary He would not. He was a tough guy. He didn't want to get bothered with this old widow. But afterward, he said, Though I do not fear God and regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, he was not a horrible guy. He wasn't going to kill her or anything. He just thought, she just keeps coming. I know her. She's going to keep on coming. i got to do something to get her off my back. So she kept coming. Avenge me. Help me. Help me. She says, I'll do it. And then Jesus said, Hear what the unjust he was not just he was just a normal carnal judge hear what the unjust judge said and shall not in other words how much more shall God who is just and loving and merciful avenge his own elect? Those of us he has called, how much more shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out who are they? They're the ones who cry out day and night though He bear along with them, I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when is that? That's in our generation. And it may be another 12 to 20 years from now. We don't know. We'd like for it to be sooner. But we're going to have to be faithful and endure to the end. And Christ may come in 8 or 10 years, but it might be 12 to 20 years or beyond. We can't set a date. But when He comes, He says, Will he really find faith on the earth? And that's the way it's worded in the New King James. They put the word really in there. Will And because that's indicated apparently in the Greek. Will he really find faith on the earth when Christ comes back? Indicating there will be very little faith. Precious real faith left on this earth. Why brethren? Why aren't we getting more miracles and more divine healings? well I've said this before and I don't want to take too much time here near the end of the sermon but I'll review we had a lot of wonderful miracles in the early days of the work and I've told you about them when I was in college I had terrible warts on I guess with both hands maybe just one hand I can't remember they were big ugly things they were not little tiny ones they were big and they just stayed there and I was kind of thought I was a tough guy and my mother got scared to death because I tried to get rid of the warts I would put a, a, a match, I'd take a match, blow it out real quick, put it in the wart and grind it down even though it hurt and tried to kill it with heat from the match. And then I would take a, 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 a I had sense enough to stellarize it with match. I'd a match and take a, a razor blade and cut the wart out and the blood would come. Mother would say, You're going to kill yourself, Rod, you'll get cancer. And I'd put iodine in there. The wart would grow right back. I do other things. I put a lemon, some old woman said put lemon on it. I put lemon on it. It would grow right back. My mother finally took me to the doctor. She thought Rod's going to kill himself. And the doctor used the electric needle and he put a needle down in there supposed to kill the, the base or whatever it is of the wart. And it grew right back. I had the healthiest warts west of the Mississippi. I really did. They were tremendously healthy. I came to Ambassador College, and that was the only thing that seemed really bad. Now, frankly, I should have had my eyes anointed. I didn't think about that. Sometimes when you're first being called, God gives you a miracle to encourage you. And God did give me that one. I wish now I'd ask of my eyes to be healed. That'd be more important. But at any rate, because I was already nearsighted, although not as much as I am now. Anyway, I asked, I heard Mr. Armstrong preach on healing, and I asked him to anoint me for the warts, that God would take them away. And I had never heard anyone pray like that. I'd never been anointed before. And here was this older man with this deep, wonderful bass baritone voice, say, Father in heaven, eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth, heal this young man. You're the healer. you promised to heal. You've got to heal. Heal these warts. And so I went away feeling good because I thought, well, God must hear that kind of prayer but God tested my faith I didn't have very much and it was about two months I can't remember somewhere six to nine or ten weeks later each morning on the third floor of Mayfair the student dormitory the girls were on the first floor and was only one girl she lived with Mrs. Mann the second floor was these old ladies that lived there as rumors they were in their 70s and 80s they were safe from us and on the third floor was the boys and the and, uh, so we were up there, my feet would hit the floor in the dormitory, and I would look and there was the warts every morning, and just as normal, I said, well okay, but I didn't give up. I would say that I didn't have perfect faith, but I thought, well maybe maybe this will really happen at least. One morning I got up and looked and the warts were gone and my, my skin was completely clean. I thought, how can this be? And I, I looked under Down at my feet, I thought the warts had fallen off. I pulled the sheets back. I did this, brethren. I tried to thought, where did the warts fall? They didn't fall anywhere. God simply caused the body to absorb them overnight by a miracle, it wasn't gradual because I'd been looking every morning. I was just my morning ritual. Get up, feet hit the floor, see if the warts are still there. And they just left because God healed the warts. Now, that doesn't sound very impressive, but that was impressive to me at that time because that's what I needed. So I began to get the idea of healing. In the early church in those days, we had people healed of all kinds of things. And they'd come to Mr. Armstrong with a bad uh, flu and, and all kinds of sometimes dysentery and terrible things like that. Others would have heart trouble. They would have cancer. Uh, they would have all kinds of diseases. And many people, frankly, were healed of many, many different things in those early years. And I was from Missouri. I would sometimes go, well, did you really have this? And, you know, I'll try to check up on them, be sure. As I've said, brethren, if you have a bad cold and you... uh And I've seen this happen, of course. Then you you have drank lemon juice and water for about a week. And you say, well, the coal went away. A miracle. No, that's not a miracle. It'll go away anyway. So we're not talking about that kind of miracle. I'm talking about God intervening supernaturally, applying the sacrifice of Christ to you. Then later, we had a man in the church, many others along the way. Well, let's go back first to the baptizing tour with Raymond Minera in 1951. We had this lady come up to us. I think it was in Kansas. And we baptized her. We laid hands on her. And before she left, she had no reason to try to impress us. We were leaving. Two young men from California... And she brought her Baptist friend with her to just keep her company with these two strange young men from California, you know. So their friend was along and was not interested, not being converted, but a nice woman. And she held out her arm. She said, "Fella," she said, last winter, I think she said February, that sticks in my mind. But anyway, she said, this arm she showed, she was, it was summer, she had short sleeves. And she said, this arm was like a a little rope. She said it was about one-third or fourth the size of the other arm. It had never developed. It was just hanging there. And she said, I got an anointed cloth from Mr. Armstrong, and this arm began to grow right out in the following weeks. And she said, now, you see, it's all there. And she said, the right arm is a little bigger, though. She said, it's interesting. She And she'd thought and prayed about it. She said, God healed the arm but now, she said, I can milk the cows with both arms. And she said, God is letting me develop the muscles. So the one arm is a little smaller. God is letting me do my part, develop the muscles and the bad arm, but He healed the arm. And that was wonderful. I've never forgotten that. And I never will forget it. Then later on, I baptized a fellow in college named Howard Clark, who had been in the Navy. I think he was a or maybe Marines. Was it Marines anyway? He had been a medic and he got injured in the in the uh, Korean War. And he sat in the wheelchair right over there from the point of view of the speaker in the Shakespeare Club week after week after week for years. And he, you talk about doctors. He'd been in all kinds of Navy hospitals all over the country in Hawaii and out in the East and then back in this country. They gave him everything they could do. And he was sitting in a wheelchair and he was a paraplegic. He couldn't move he had to have his wife help bathe him, take care of him, do everything. And uh, he was a very, very bad situation all his life. He sure put on a good act by doing it all day long, every day for, for years. Finally, I was back in Chicago for Pentecost one summer. Came back and a young man met me in the at, from transportation at the airport to bring me in to pa- Pasadena, and he said, "Oh, by the way, did you hear that Howard Clark was healed?" I said, "What I had baptized Howard Clark personally, and I had George Meeker help me lift him over into the baptismal and another man, I forget who the other, because Howard you may remember him he was he was heavy he was about Mr. Ames' size, but he was uh well, he was even broader shouldered I think he was even much heavier of course he had he he couldn't eat." I mean, he couldn't exercise, and so he was probably 250 or 270 pounds a weight a whole lot, so we had to have help to get over him into the baptistry. But anyway, I knew him really well, and so I came in the next day, and here was Howard sitting on the fender of his car, and those old cars used to have real fenders, and he had a kind of a smile, and I came up and he had a real sense of humor, very high IQ, and uh I said, Howard, I see you've been healed. He says, yeah, I, 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 I'm healed. And he says, Dick, Dick healed me. Prayed, Dick Armstrong prayed for him. And uh, I said, well, you can walk around. And his eyes twinkled. He said, you want to see me, don't you? I said, yes, I do want to see you. So he got off and he kind of limped around like I do when I'm walking. But because he was healed and yet he didn't leap and walk. But a few weeks later, not months, five or seven weeks later, at the end of the summer, I was performing Bryce Clark. Some of you know Bryce Clark. I know Mrs. McNair does. She was Mr. He was Mr. Carl McNair's hunting buddy, great big guy, even bigger than Mario, who was six-two and a half, and even heavier, well, powerful bull buck type of guy. But I was, I had performed his wedding, and then I, we were having the receiving line and as i was walked to one side and here was howard clark who couldn't even get out of his wheelchair and he was standing there laughing and talking to people he had one child in each arm kind of laughing and going like this and i was used to be very uh uh, staunch and i didn't tears came to my eyes i couldn't believe it but we had all kinds of healings like that in those days you've heard me tell of them and here we are So I'll go on now with the sermon. But we had all kinds of healings. What happened? Worldwide came apart. People lost their faith. The world went on. TV got worse. And a lot of you think, well, these things have happened and the world. Where is God? Well, God is still there. And healing is still there, brethren. We need to really deeply, profoundly understand that. Back in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2. Let's begin here if you would, and uh, in verse 1, he said here, Therefore, since the promise... No, I'm sorry, I'm getting... Uh, I meant Hebrews chapter 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast... In the Old Testament, And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? Notice verse 4. God also bearing witness, yes, God backs up His true servants, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. He said, That's how we know God was bearing witness. And many scriptures tell us that same thing that God backs us up in that way. God tells us here later in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6, describes Christ. Verse 6, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Even Jesus Christ was literally shaking and crying out to God, help me Father, help me Father, I'm the only one who can be the Savior of the world. I think we as a church need to get on fire And we need to begin to cry out to God to please heal these people that are dying right in our midst. And ask God to intervene. Heal these people. Have mercy. Begin to give us the gifts of your Holy Spirit more and more. And help us to have an impact on this world. And I hope all of you around the world will join in that, brethren. Please join in that. We need to do our part. And we need to do our part with zeal, not half-heartedly. So I hope all of you can understand that and begin to have that kind of attitude we should cry out to God and we should have His help and His divine intervention more than we have had. The time has come. We're near the end of the age, the time when God's going to allow false miracles to happen, false ministers to preach, and God's true ministers should have more power. I ask all of you to join in a crusade to begin to pray, to study, to meditate, to fast on this topic. I've had a few scriptures yet. I couldn't get in here. So I won't keep you till midnight this time. Maybe next time I will. <laughs> but please pray and fast about this. Ask God fast about it. People are dying. We need God's intervention. So the time has come. And I hope you'll understand and go all out and ask God to put the wonderful gifts of healings. It's called that plural in the New Testament. The gifts, plural of healings in His ministry. More and more and help his church have a far greater impact on this world to honor his name and show that God is God.